If you enjoy being average, this may not be the show for you. This is where you can learn the skills and mindset to turn mediocrity into excellence. You're listening to Against All Average with Kyle Tolzman. What is up? Kyle Tolzman back with another episode of the Against All Average podcast. All right, let's go. It's Friday morning. It's 10 a.m. our time, and it's already freaking 90 degrees. I was out there sweeping, getting the lawn ready, getting our house ready to show, and I was sweating profusely in about five seconds. There's a little bit of humidity out there. Ah, it's going to be crazy. I think we're forecasted for about 108 degrees tomorrow, Saturday, and 111 or 113 on Sunday. What makes this even better? is I am a lacrosse coach, as you know, and I run a lacrosse company and we've got a tournament this weekend, 10 miles north of Portland. So we're uh, we're expecting some high temperatures. They're doing their best. They're trying to get the games early. They're, they've got uh, ice pools and ice baths and we've got shade and shelter and ice rags and everything, but and you're not cutting through 113 degrees very well. You've got your lacrosse gear on, your helmet, your shoulder pads. But again, it gives me another opportunity to work with youth, gives me another opportunity to talk about mindset and grit and determination and just kind of plugging through it, embracing the suck sometimes and just going through it and getting to that next level. But you don't want to just hear about weather. You don't want to just hear about lacrosse. You want to hear about the experience of my amazing guests. And boy, howdy, we've got another amazing guest today. But before I introduce him, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Fair and Event. When you need fun and simple solutions to manage your event, give our friends at Fair and Event a call. They've got ticketing, they've got vendor booth management software, interactive floor plans, and Fusion RFID technology. They'll help you run a completely cashless event, making it simple for your vendors and everybody else. They'll always give you that against all average treatment, save you time, money, and a hell of a lot of migraines planning your next event. Let's get to it. Our guest today is the president of Safe Harbor Retirement Planning and has served as a relentless retirement guide to thousands since 1986. The secret to his longevity has been asking the questions other advisors simply don't don't ask. It allows them to make the best decisions for each client's unique situation and ensure retirement success. Mark is a former radio talk show host, an author, and has become the go-to financial educator in the media. We'll also talk about his most recent book, Don't Outlive Your Money in Retirement. Seven Key Steps unveils the step-by-step process used to help maximize the retirement journey. You may have seen him in the Wall Street Journey, <laughs> Journey, Wall Street Journal, ABCnews.com, FoxNews.com. He's all over the place and he is a wealth, no pun intended, of knowledge when it comes to getting folks prepared for retirement. Please welcome to the show, Mark Singer. What's up, Mark? Kyle, I am so glad I'm here on the East Coast, man. Oh my goodness. I can't imagine your kids having to go through that and the lacrosse tournament. I don't care how early you get started. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, I think 8 a.m. It's probably just going to have that little bead of humidity. It's probably going to be 82 by the time they start their first game. And, uh, you know, for us, we don't have weather like that, um, you know, building up to the summer. In the summer, sometimes we have these heat waves, but we live in a kind of a, a world of 60 and 70 degrees. They're not used to it. It is what it is. Hey, listen, by, by the way, with regards to your sponsor, too, isn't it nice we are going to be planning for events now? The world is opening up again and we're going to go and do and be. And, you know, that's that's part of, you know, what, what sort of, if you will, the segue into what I do. Um, it, the pandemic was really a glimpse for those who consider or are seriously thinking about retirement in terms of a, a look into what retirement might look like. And what I mean by that is we didn't have a workplace to go to. We really didn't have anywhere to go. And oh, by the way, we're home 24-7 with our spouse or partner. Now, for some, that went really well. (laughs) Maybe not for others. So retirement, and you talked about the Wall Street journey, and I'll talk about the journey. (laughs) Um, the, The journey into and through retirement Everybody seems to focus on the financial end of things. You know, don't outlive your money in retirement, the number one financial fear. But we really focus as much as on that as we do the other big fear is, well, what am I going to do the rest of my life? Why am I getting up in the morning? Where am I going? I get a call from one of my best friends in, in um, Scottsdale probably two or three mornings a week at 10 o'clock my time, either seven or eight hits his time in the morning. And he goes, Mark, yeah, I'll make it till 11. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do. And then I think I'm going to go to lunch. And then after that, I'm not sure. I mean, he has no kids, no family. He, he shows a couple of Corvettes and that's about it. Um, that's not what I would define as a successful retirement. Um, a successful retirement for many I hear from my clients is, gee, I did, I don't know how I had the time to work before. They really fill their time. There's a sense of purpose, you know, some, something to reward us and the people we're with. Um, and we lose a lot of that when we leave the workplace. Yeah, I 100% agree. As I I look and I'm not at retirement age, you know, I wish I was planning for retirement here in the next three years. And I always try to find jobs where I'm as close to doing what I want with each and every day that I possibly can. But you're completely right. When, When a human being no longer has purpose, that's not success. That's not retirement. That's not fulfillment to me when I look at it. So it seems as though when you coach up your clients and you bring on somebody new, it seems almost that the conversation talks about finances last. Well, actually, uh, yes and no. So in the planning process, the seven steps, um, we really start with the financial side of things just to get a framework, just to understand it. And, I, and let me share with you, uh, if I will, the, the forward of my first book. Now, I will tell you that after the first book, I promised I would never write another book <laughs> again. And uh, I just released my fourth book. So I won't say I won't ever do it again. But the forward was the story of a client of mine who came to me. She was 55, 56 years old. She had worked for 38 years, you do the math, for the same insurance company. In other words, it was her only job. And the reason she was coming to me 
was because this insurance company, one of the last of its kind, was offering a pension to their employees, something nobody gets anymore unless you're a municipal worker, a school teacher, fireman, whatever. So she had reached the stage where she was fully vested in her pension. And no matter how much longer she worked, she wasn't going to get any more of a pension. So the question was, in essence, could I retire today? So we did the planning for the finances and we focused on the cash flow and, you know, social security later on and, you know, proper invest, you know, all this, all the stuff you normally do for, for money, the money side of things. And we came up with a plan for her and we all agreed you can go to your HR department tomorrow. If you want to hand in your paperwork, you're done financially. So we set up a meeting for about three weeks after that meeting and she comes into my office and she sits down and she starts crying. And it's like, oh my goodness, what did I just do? Let, let's, can we talk? And in essence, what she was saying was, I've had a reason to get up every single morning, a place to go to. I am a respected member of a growing community. The workplace is my home. It, it, it is what, it, it, what defines me. I can't retire. And for her, she had to settle into the other side, the non-financial side, the journey. It took her two to three years before she agreed with herself and her husband that she would finally retire. So what ends up happening is wow. the planning process is we do start with the numbers because you got to start somewhere. Either you can or you cannot retire. The numbers will tell us that. But once you do that, you can put that to the sidelines and now you talk about purpose. Now you talk about meaning. Now you talk about getting fulfilled. How are you filling your time? How are you getting rewarded? What are you going to do? How are you going to live with your partner, your spouse? I mean, that's a big deal. Um, so we have to understand roles and boundaries and that's not finances but I think you do start with the financial side of things and then figure out how you're going to do the, the, those 40, 50, 60 hours a week you were doing before when you were working. Yeah. And I saw that just with the pandemic. I'm a school teacher by trade is one of the jobs that I have. And our online school, Mark, grew from 150 kids to 1500 overnight. Wow. So, I think there's an additional 10 to 15 teachers transferred. And I was like, Hey, I'll, I'll do whatever we need to do in this pandemic for the kids to get through this. But I start to get a glimpse of what you're saying is some days I was so free and so flexible because I caught up on my grading. I didn't have any kids to tutor. And so my, my eight to 12 hour days from being an in-school teacher and a lacrosse coach, you know, that's like 12 hours of my time sometimes turned into two. And now I'm at home with my three kids schooling. I'm home with my wife a majority of the time. And you're completely right. There's some serious adjustment there. And sometimes I was like, am I, am I fulfilled? Am I still living my purpose? I, I feel like I have so much more in the tank but I'm frustrated because now I'm, I'm contained at home. So I completely get that. You got to run the numbers first, but then it becomes an emotional decision. Are you actually ready to retire? 
Right. And, you know, so if we focus on the numbers for just a moment, you know, there are certain things that, you know, if you're using a financial advisor or you're doing the investments on your own during your working years, that's one thing. You know, you can take on, if you will, more risk than you need to in your portfolio because you got time. Markets go up and markets come back down and then they go back up again and then they go back down again. Um, so th- that just is what what you want to do. And your goal while you're working is to accumulate the biggest nest egg you can so that when you go to retire, you can generate the income that you need for that next chapter of life. Now, when you go to retire, however, you need to redefine what kind of risk you're going to take on your portfolio for numbers of reasons. Um, the very first reason is you. this is a time, these first two or three years, once you retire, the most vulnerable you'll ever feel with your money because you're no longer working, you're no longer contributing to your retirement plan. And when or if, if the timing is bad, can you say 2007, 2008, or for those 2000, 2001, 2002, where markets were down three successive years, if that market goes down, you're feeling helpless. And that's from an emotional perspective. But from a financial perspective, one of the things our industry does, I believe, is a very lousy job of educating people. You're in the education business. I think our industry is horrible at educating people on the real important things they need to be thinking about from my perspective, entering into retirement. And one of them is telling people that if you go to retire and once you retire, the market goes down and you're taking income from the portfolio at the same time, it's a double whammy. And some may not ever recover from that, depending upon the impact of the downside. So you really have to reposition your portfolio but it's not about focusing on the investments. That's another thing I think our industry does a lousy job of. Every commercial is about, did you outperform? You know, how'd you, how did your portfolio do this week? Well, who cares, okay? As you go into retirement, it is so much more about cash flow. And once you identify how much income you need from your portfolio, then and only then you start to allocate your portfolio in such a way to generate the income you need. You don't want to take on more risk than you need to in order to generate the income that you need. So you have to, the number one step in the seven steps is cash flow. And, and you know, the other side of it is in, in retirement, cash is king, right? If you have cash, you know, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want. I mean, I've got clients who are illiquid and don't have a lot of cash and they be, may be worth millions of dollars. But if you don't have money to burn today, if you don't have something in your pocket, I don't care how much you're worth or how big the portfolio is, you're not going to have the freedom and the flexibility to do what you want to do. So our industry really needs to retool and we really need to do a better job of educating people. Another, another thing that we do a lousy job of is teaching people how to, which, which social security uh, strategy are you gonna take? Did you know there are 567 different social security claiming strategies? A recent study came out from the United Income that said 96% of people make their strategy at the wrong time, leaving trillions of dollars on the sideline. So we do a horrible job. Even most advisors do a horrible job of guiding their clients toward the right decision. 
So I, we, re, we need to step back. And one of the things, and I'll share it with your, with your listeners if they want to, they can go to our quiz. Well, it's a two-minute quiz. Um, they can go to uh, www.retirenowquiz.com. That's retirenowquiz.com. Invest two minutes in yourself. Fill out the 15 uh, answers. We'll score for you how well prepared, which of the three stages of retirement preparedness you're in. I'll also get you a free chapter of my book and a couple of worksheets. So you'll get a little bit more clarity in terms of if you're on track, that's great. But if you're off track, what do you need to do to get back on? Yeah. And when you, when you mentioned cash flow to me, my mind kind of goes back into to real estate a little bit. What, what do you think real estate's play? Is it, is it, do you suggest it to people who are interested in it, love it, know it, learn it, or do you, I don't know. Do you think real estate's overplayed? You know, it's interesting. I find those people who, have invested in real estate and are generating that maybe as their primary income stream, typically don't invest in the market. They know what they know. They love the real estate side of things. They also recognize markets go up and markets go down on the real estate side. It's all about cash flow on the real estate side. There's just different hurdles and landmines on the real estate side than there is on the stock market side. I think you can grow your wealth on either side, but you have to be well-educated and have a long-term vision, particularly on the real estate side. You know, if you're looking to flip everything, you know, sometimes that may not work and you may get stuck holding the bag. Right. Um, but I've got, I've got clients who um, own numbers of pieces of real estate and after a while they were just done with it and they just wanted to get out of it. But then they'd already retired by then. They built their wealth through real estate. So, I, you know, I, I think that you have to make a personal decision in terms of what it is you want to do, how you want to build your wealth in an effort um, to create the freedom that you're looking for in retirement and then really get well-educated and build a team around you. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think, I think sometimes people put, you know, all their eggs in, in one side, right? That they, they want to play only the stock market or they want to play only real estate or they only want to go single family and not diversify a bit. And, you know, with the ups and downs that can, that can definitely hurt you. And, uh, you know, that's why everybody talks about diversification and, and spreading things out a little bit. Let's continue on, Mark. Uh, step one, cash flow. Step two is maximize the social security. You know, um, this is interesting. Most people are not aware that they can claim more than one strategy. Okay. So typically you can have your own work record and Oh, by the way, somewhere around 35% of people claim their social security as soon as they can at age 62. For most people, that is a big mistake. They think I'll collect more checks for a longer period of time. And boy, doesn't that make a lot of sense? Well, the answer is for most people, no. Um, and the reason is, if you're, particularly if you're married, that your spouse is now tied to what your original claim is. So if you, are, if you have full retirement age, say at 67, but yet you take your uh, benefit at age 62, you're only going to get 70% of what you could take at age 67. Now, if you pass away, your spouse's claim is going to be based on the fact that you took it at age 62. 
she would or he would have gotten much more of an income, a survivor benefit if you'd waited a few years, because that's how the Social Security formula is. If you're if you get divorced, another thing, there's another work, another strategy you can have. So you could file on your own work record. You could file on your spouse's work record. You could file as a divorcee or as a survivor. And as life goes on, depending upon what journey you're, you're taking or it takes you, you can change your strategies along the way. But the reality is you can only choose one at a time. So obviously you wanna choose the most that you get at that time. And this is why we have seven different calculators for our clients so that we can sort of play it all out in terms of all the what if scenarios to find out what's the best way to do it. You know, another thing about those who are, who, who are taking it at 62, if they're working, they get taxed and, and, and benefits are withheld if they're still working before full retirement age. So that, that may not be a good idea. So Social Security is, a, is another thing. Taxes, you know, that's the next step. You know, I can generate a lot of income for you, but if you're paying a boatload of taxes as well, yeah, we, we may have a problem. So we really need to work in advance of retirement, how to minimize the impact of getting the income in retirement. And then you need to make sure that your portfolio is, is aligned with what your objectives are. Um, then you need to take a look at, and I, I call it the, the question that is often not asked in the initial interview, but most people are concerned about it. If I go into an interview with my wife, I may not say it up front, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, when I'm gone, is she going to be all set? So dealing with the surviving spouse, depending upon how that looks or how that works is really important. And that goes well beyond just the investments that goes into estate planning and protection of assets. Um, and then you just got to talk about the bucket list and how you want to lead your life and legacy planning, all these conversations that go on. And our role really is to help our guide our clients step by step through these conversations so they gain the confidence necessary when they go enter into retirement. And Mark, you know, there's probably somebody listening and they're thinking and maybe they've spoken to a professional about you know, their legacy and their retirements and their finances and what they should do now. And they're just like, man, it's so expensive. It's so ridiculously expensive to hire someone on to do my finances. Why would I ever do that? What's your answer to that? Well, I, I think there's a couple of different answers. Okay. If you can do it yourself, go for it. You know, there, there's no magic bullet that we do. I've just been doing it for 32 years. So I have a pretty good sense of, um, there are industry standards in terms of how we get paid because we are for-profit organizations. So if you feel that there is value in paying someone, then it's a good formula. If you don't think you're in the right relationship or you're paying too much for that relationship, then and if you cannot do it on your own, then you need to go out and just start interviewing and asking questions so you can find yourself in a place where you are going to feel confident. So here's the question. If you're constantly concerned or worried about spending money today because it may not be there tomorrow, 
then you probably need to find somebody to help you gain the confidence so you can enjoy the journey. And therein lies the question, you know, if then you can start to delegate and work with a professional, it's going to cost just like hiring the accountant or hiring the attorney. You could do your own taxes and do your own estate planning, but we find value in paying professionals to do certain things for us. You know, I can't do plumbing, so I don't care how much I pay somebody to come in and fix the pipes. <laughs> right. Uh, that's just me. But I like to have a good professional team around me because I don't know everything. I know what I know, and I know there's a lot of things I don't. And if I'm going to succeed, I need to bring on a good, solid team around me. And if they're helping me accomplish my objectives, then it's well worth that investment in myself. And everybody listening out there, that is an entrepreneurial skill. You can't do it all. Your job is to find ways to make your your workday focused on the money producing activities. So if you can pay somebody to bookkeep, if you could pay somebody to be your accountant, if you don't know a darn thing about Facebook ads, Facebook marketing, outsource that. Stay in your power zone to generate that income. Mark, as I was hearing you speak, I actually had a question in my head. If I'm going around and I'm going to try to find my next financial advisor, what do you think a a couple quick questions should be to open up that conversation? So first of all, you know, it's sort of like if I break my elbow, I don't want to go to a heart surgeon, right? (laughs) Right. So depending upon what your objectives are, if you're focused on you know, you've got young kids and you really want to make sure that you're set up for college and retirement, then you want, you know, sort of a broad-based financial planner. You want to ask them who their typical clients are. What's the profile of the person that they're working for? You know, how old are they? How long are they? How long old are the clients? How long is the relationship with these clients? What is the net worth of the clients? I mean, if you walk into an office and the net worth of the average client is, let's say, $10 million and you have $100,000, it's not the right fit. So you have to ask that question. You also want to find out how they get paid. And there is no right or wrong way to how to how they get paid. And there's really three kind of ways to get paid in this industry from an advisor's perspective. They can get paid on straight commission. I don't think there's anything wrong with it as long as it's fully disclosed up front that they're there to sell you a product. If you agree to that, you know, then that's a good relationship for you. Then there is pl- uh, the whole process of doing the planning and the consulting where you actually pay a fee to set up a blueprint, a financial plan, a business plan. That that fee could run anywhere from $500 to $5,000, depending upon the complexity and what your objectives are. And then there can be the fee to manage the money for and with you. And that can typically run anywhere from, you know, let's call it a one, one percentage point uh, uh, annually. It could be a little bit higher, could be a little bit lower, but that's sort of kind of the, the industry standard. Then you also want to ask them, who do, they, who do they work for? Okay. They may work for a particular entity, therefore have a particular bias, the entity's bias. Um, or are they independent? I, I have my own bias. I am independent. So I can put my client's needs at the center of the relationship. We call it being client-centric, 
We want to make sure that whatever we do, we are moving forward on the same side of the table as the client. I don't care where it goes. I just need to solve the problem. So you need to understand whether or not they work for an insurance company where they'll end up selling you their insurance products or whether they're independent and don't have a product to sell. Those are some of the questions you need to ask. I also am biased. I happen to be a certified financial planner. I'm a CFP. So you could go on CFP board, CFPBOARD board.org, and you could find a, a CFP candidate in your area, or you can just get referrals from client, uh, from friends or families or colleagues, you know, to see. But those are some of the questions that I think are important that you must ask because if the relationship fails, you are as accountable for that failure as the professional is. You need to ask the questions up front to make sure that you are in the right place. 100%. That's, uh, that's some gold nuggets right there. Just, just making sure that you feel good in the relationship. Because if somebody's managing your money, you want it to calm you. You want it to, to reduce your stress and know that your family's taken care of, know that your kids are taking that kind of thing. So it is a, a big decision, but those, those three areas definitely are some quick questions to get out of the way. So you're confident in that relationship. Mark, as we're uh, rolling here, I kind of want to go a different way. And I just want to, I want your opinion on this. We've got, we've got plywood sheets going for $65 that they used to go for 12 bucks. We've got two by fours and other dimensional lumber up. Wood futures are going down a little bit, but we're still seeing the same pricing at Home Depot. Gas is up a little bit. Things seem a little bit inflated, but what the heck's going on? Listen, we were coming out of one of the most extraordinary periods in the history of the market and the world. Um, We saw the most precipitous drop in the history of markets last March, or late, late February, early March. And then we saw the most uh, incredible increase in the, in the course of two or three weeks. Uh, it went up at a high at a le- level that we hadn't seen in history either, back to back. So, you know, th- th- there is a whole bunch of issues with regards to the whole supply chain. How do you get your goods? And that is just one of the reasons the supply and demand math, if you will, that you're now seeing the types of inflation. Now, lumber and wood are certainly different. They're, they're at the much higher end of the scale. I mean, if you're doing your kitchen right now, I feel sorry for you because it's going to yeah. cost you 30% more at least. Um, if you're trying to put on a deck or even we built a vegetable garden last year and we couldn't even find <laughs> it regardless of the pricing. Um, but, you know, your real question is, what do I do with my money now, now that inflation's head seems to be showing at some level? And the answer needs to go back to the overall planning and your objectives. We are not invested for this week. We're not invested for this month or this year. You've got long-term objectives. You've got medium-term objectives. You need to have a portfolio that is going to weather or be all weather, regardless of whether markets are going up or down. And the reasons markets go up or down are varied. Inflation, believe it or not, when it, now that it is rearing its head, is it quote unquote transitory as you see in the headlines and people are talking about, which means they think it's gonna be short term or is the Fed in the right direction where they're gonna to try to hold inflation at 2%? Believe it or not, 
the market doesn't really care at the moment about the conversations. They still are chugging along at historic record highs. So the market is kind of sort of baking in the fact, remember the market is priced out today, what it thinks it will be tomorrow. It's not priced out what you're going to go buy at Home Depot today. So they're already baking in the fact that there is going to be some element of inflation. I believe they're baking in the fact that it's not going to, it's certainly not going to be hyperinflation. Um, We'll see some tick up. What we're seeing now will come back down because the supply chain issues will come back down. We're going to go back to sort of a quasi normal world. Um, But I, 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 I'm not concerned and I communicate to my clients in advance before they ask the question, by the way, I think that's also an important component of when you talk to a, uh, an advisor and interview them. how do you communicate with your clients? We're very proactive and we try to answer the questions before they become questions and inflation's been head on. And we write to our clients about the fact, Hey, listen, you've heard about inflation. You've heard about this. You've heard about that. This is how we're thinking about it. This is how some of the experts are thinking about it. And I think in the, as a long winded way to answer your question, what do I think about inflation? It's here, it's coming, but you shouldn't be concerned about it if you've done the planning. You can make some minor adjustments to your portfolio, but I wouldn't overreact. No, I knew you'd have an amazing answer to that, Mark. Thank you so much. I'm in the process of selling a home and and working on building a new one. And it's just, uh, it's interesting, you know, you get one quote, you wait three weeks, that quote just went up $40,000. And I'm like, when's this going to stop? And then, you know, I look at the wood futures and they're coming down, but it's not, it's not the here and now it's not the supply chain that is on, on the shelves right now. So it's, it's still, you know, kind of jacked up. The prices are still pretty darn high. And, you know, when you have an increase of, of plywood like from 12 bucks to $65 and you know, all that sheeting goes on the roof and the sides and the subfloor, like that's a, that's a huge increase in costs. So um, I appreciate your mindset on that. The last thing that I kind of want two questions to kind of wrap up this episode. And this has been a great one for, uh, for our listeners that are, are in any stage of their life, right? Because this is so important to everyone is if you were to sit down And let's say a a, a family that is married, come sit down. They're about 40 years old. They've got two kids that let's say they're five-year-old twins and they come to your office to start talking about what's going on. What are kind of the steps to like pick a retirement date or like, where do you even start this crazy conversation if they come in and they're just like, yep, I've got $80,000 in my checking account. I've never invested anything besides what my company forced me to. What does that look like? And how do you facilitate that and start allocating money and all those different types of things? So again, and I think it's a great question. Um, I think our industry has done a lousy job. We've told you, you must think about retirement as the number one thing and number one agenda on your plate. And that's not true because there are other things that are keeping you up at night, financial stressors that you have to deal with now. 
And if you have the ability to have a retirement plan right now at the age of 40 and you can put money away, you know, the, the longer you put money away, even if it's just little pieces of money and being disciplined to put little pieces of money away for a long period of time, it will benefit you in the long run. But if, if you're if that 40 year old with a, with a set of twins of five years old, you, you're you're talking about current cash flow and what's the impact of your credit card and your credit card score. Do you have student loans out there? How do you deal deal with that. What are your short-term goals? Do, are you looking to do a home improvement? Um, you know, now that we can go on vacation and even, you know, with your sponsor, go to events, we need money for that stuff too. Then we need to take care of the kids. We need to make sure that, you know, we're setting up for their college education. What does that look like for you? What are your objectives in terms of what your kids are going to do and how can we set you for that? You cannot deal with cash flow, credit card, student loan, college, retirement, and your bucket lists all at once and make them all a high priority. You must go back in and the conversation I would have would initially be to try to prioritize what's important to that client and then deal with it piece by piece by piece. Retirement certainly is the number one long-term financial goal for everyone. They want to retire in a successful manner. But to get there, we have to be able to sleep at night and to sleep at night and reduce the stresses that we have. We have to deal with other things and maybe for a couple, three, four years, maybe put retirement on the back burner. hundred percent. It all comes down to what they want to do, right? Do they want to go boating on the lake? Do they want to go camping or do they want to stay at a resort? There's all types of different things that are going to be in that initial conversation about cash flow, because if you don't have any extra cash, there's nothing to put in retirement. So, and I'm sure you've seen it many times, those who are disciplined and those who are struggling or working towards their goal of retirement. Mark, as we wind out the episode, the last question I ask each and every one of the folks that I interview is about the concept of the podcast. The podcast title is Against All Average. And what it means to me is living a life where you have great purpose, where you are excited to get up each and every morning, where you give to others more than yourself, whether that's financially or the information or the lifestyle that you're able to give your clients. What makes you against all average? What makes you get up excited each and every day to, to write the books, to write the articles in the Wall Street Journal and on Fox News? What what keeps you going to, to stay away from this average mundane life? Uh, it's a great question. You know, I've been 32 years in this office with my uh, firm. Um, you know, the first 15 years were like the worst decision I ever made in my in my career. Um, I mean, you talk about struggles. It, it was unbelievable. But I knew I had a purpose. I knew I, I loved um, teaching, educating, adding value to creating purpose for my clients and the relationship that we have. And I think that I just, I was just too stubborn uh, to do anything else. And the last, if you will now, 17 years, you know, for me, fortunately, I don't have to worry about the finances anymore, which is the number one thing that keeps people up at night, causes stress on relationships. And now I can truly focus without being unencumbered at all on my client, on, the, on my purpose, on, on my drive to just, you know, help 
people get to a better place. In my world, that's financially or it starts financially. But believe it or not, it ends up going way more than just the finances because it's so much more about how you feel about yourself, what you're doing, what you're contributing, what you're giving. And you know it, you hear it a hundred times, a thousand times, and it's true, especially if you do it. The more you give, you more the, the better you feel for yourself as well. Um, so th- the more that I can do, the more that I can educate people, the better it is for them and it is for me because I get fulfilled as a result of doing that. That's awesome. That's a, a very cool line of work where you're, you're able to interact with families on such a deep level to to plan for their future and, and the things that are important to them. Thank you so much, Mark. As we're winding down the episode, I just want you to remember if you find value in these episodes, Leave us a review. Wherever you're listening to this, leave us a review. Hit those stars, four of them or five of them. I'm pretty damn sure this episode was up there at a five. Mark's over there smiling. He knows it as well. Uh, As we wind it down, I want to thank Mark Singer for dropping gold today about retirement planning, entrepreneurship, and so much freaking more. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Kyle. This has been Against All Average. Subscribe, share, rate, and review at AgainstAllAverage.com.